Sawate discipuli and sawate omnes. Welcome again to another episode of Latin in Layman's. Today is September 23rd, 2023. For all those uh, tuning in, thank you so very, very much. Um, this is post a lot of growth that I have been um, accumulating from TikTok right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still kind of on the mend from my sickness. Uh, so, uh, pardon me, uh, I'll try and edit out any sort of, uh, awful throat noises if, uh, that ever be, uh, is the case rather. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, um, I'm doing another Q and A here actually, because I've been compiling a bunch of questions. Uh, I'm going to address nine of them today. Um, kind of like a, a gamut, a wide variety, and I just have them here in on a Google Doc in front of me, and I'm just gonna I'm a riff off. You know me, you guys know me. I'm 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 real. I'm honest. Um, I'm straight to you know the the nitty gritty. I'm not gonna dance around anything, and uh, and yeah, some of them uh, I feel like are gonna kind of get me a little heated because. Um, because yeah, you know, I f I'm finding myself in a very similar position that I was in last year, where I'm being uh, just absolutely um, just pulled for all like all the resources that I have, everything that I've given to this school. They are just trying to pull more and more and more and more and more from me. So you know, there's a question regarding. Um, you know, well, well, I was, it was, I was actually just recently reminded because on TikTok, um, if you do TikTok and you kind of continuously do it, it kind of does the same thing that maybe Snapchat would do or like a OneDrive would do when it says, "Hey, look back at your memories on this specific day." And so TikTok has been doing that a lot. And actually, I was reminded last night that um, I had made a TikTok a year ago that day, aka yesterday. Um. September 22nd, where I was addressing all of my students that I had just said goodbye to at Vanguard, the prior school that I started out as out teaching at last year. But due to circumstances, um, a lot of false pretenses that they had led me to believe, lots of, well, just straight up lies that they had told me, um, they were also running me into the ground. And I felt so, so... Um, like they're just pulling everything from me. And I just hadn't, uh, like, I don't have a lot to give in this world, but that's why I do this podcast. That's why I do my TikTok is that what I do have is all in my mind, at least for now. So might as well give as much as I can to the ethers and to y'all and to whomever wants to learn for the sake of learning and, you know, growing. And I'm so glad that I've reached an audience and that now this rhetoric revolution is happening and that I have people hashtagging rev rhetoric revolution. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm feeling so, there's a lot of wins that I'm feeling, but I'm also just feeling so beaten down right now by my schedule that is just, I've straight up talked to my coworkers. They're very well aware of this. Um, uh, my schedule is not sustainable for the entirety of my year teaching at this school that I currently te teach at, nor um, is it really sustainable for me seeing it to the end of the semester, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm this, it, probably not. I, I feel like, you know, either I, either I get in trouble, uh, 
from HR because of the TikTok stuff, because I already talked to you guys about um, <clears throat> the fact that I had gotten called down a week uh, after the whole thing blown uh, blew up and, you know, basically just kind of like a just kind of like to scare me, I guess, make me well aware that like I need to protect myself. And I don't need to protect myself because I have a very innocuous channel. And um, if people are going to start pulling things out of context and they're going to start trying to create problems out of nothing and make me look like somebody whom I am clearly not, um, then, hey, you know what? Sorry, I'm out. You know what? And you guys are going to have to let me go or something like that because uh, – Whatever. Either that or I end up leaving because this is just not sustainable. I'm getting sick. I am having flare-ups with my gut. I'm having other systemic flare-ups that, you know, are address are tied to my autoimmunities that when I got sick back in 2015. And um, I just, I can't live a life where I'm going to put my health on the wayside um, as a 28-year-old guy uh, for a, a meager job that keeps on pulling everything from me and not appreciating me who for, uh, for who I am. I am a rockin' awesome teacher. I know I am. And you know what? I'm sorry that I'm being so real right at the intro, but um, I was reading a couple of the questions and yeah, it kind of got me heated. And then thinking about like last night, it's like, I feel like I'm in the same position that I was a year ago. And that's not me. I'm always moving forward and it angers me to feel like I'm, I'm stagnant right now because I'm always moving forward. And I know that I'm moving forward still, even though it may feel like I'm on a treadmill right now, or maybe I'm just laterally stepping right now to eventually hit the gap and, you know, get my try or something like that. If you guys know rugby, that's a reference to rugby, but I am, you guys are helping me see my worth all those on TikTok that are coming over and listening on my my podcast, you know, I know it started out with a lot of these thirst traps and whatnot and everything like that. And you know what? Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I I consider it all flattery. I tread lightly because I know that a lot of those videos are probably being made by minors. But hey, you know what? I don't have control over that kind of stuff. And if admin and HR is going to like say like I'm going to get in trouble for things that are kind of out of my control, then you know what? They're going to lose their best Latin instructor first off and probably one of their best teachers at that school and somebody that's brought in, brought a bunch of revenue. The amount of uh, how I've grown this Latin program. Hey, I'm also a capstone senior advisor. I'm the NHS advisor for our chapter. Like I have to do a lot and yet I am still being asked to do more. So with that being said, I'll leave it there because I'm, I can sometimes be a person and maybe you are, or maybe you know other people that when they start to talk about things and they start to work through it, they can sometimes get a little bit worked up. So I'll leave it there and I'll let myself get worked up a little bit more into the meat and the potatoes of this podcast here. That being said, love you guys. You know I do. I love you to the nth degree and I feel the love back and I'm here for it and I'm here to continue to bring all this knowledge, um, just me in general, who I am, why I'm here, why we're all struggling and working and progressing through this life in this world, just trying to be better. Because I think that we all are if we all want to be. 
That is, if we have a growth mindset, even though I don't really like the term growth mindset because I feel like it's just kind of a, it's self-explanatory. It's either you want to grow or you're, you want to be stagnant and content. So I think the term growth mindset is just, it's silly to have a term to associate with that concept, but whatever. Let's just grow. Let's learn for the sake of learning. And when you know more, you just know more. And the more you know, the more you can confidently carry yourself through this world. So let's dive on into all these questions. And again, thank you guys. I'm at 12,000 followers on TikTok now, and I'm just going to keep on going up and up and up and up and up. I don't know what it's going to procure in the future, but hopefully it'll procure something that'll open up an opportunity for me to um, pivot because that's where I'm at at this point. I need it. I'm being, I'm being run down into the ground. I'm losing weight like none other. My gut issues are flaring up like none other. Um, and nobody will understand because I can't explain it to them. And those that have autoimmune diseases, people, people tend to not hold space for those things sometimes, especially when people tell you that it's psychosomatic or something like that. And like when I initially got sick and when a doctor tells you that something that you are feeling physically and systemically in your body is all procured by your mind, you're denying my reality. You're denying the things that I'm feeling currently, and it just leads you to more hopelessness. People don't understand, and I'm not going to help them understand because at the end of the day, they just make fun of me and they tell me I have tummy issues. And so I just got to kind of play that card and kind of make fun of myself in that respect and, and deal with that. That being said, I'm done rambling. Let's get into it. I'm feeling like this is going to be a raw one. Alrighty, so for our first question from Isla Edgar, hopefully I pronounced your name right, what role did Latin play in the development of modern Romance languages and how has it influenced contemporary vocabulary and terminology? Well, it very much has made its presence, um, well, if I look at the word vocabulary, uh, vocabulary comes from the Latin voco vocare, which means to call. Um, so a vocabulary is just pertaining to a, a all that is called essentially contemporary, a contemporary con meaning together and or with tempor temporis in Latin meaning time contemporary just means pertaining to with the times essentially. So as you can see, I can already take certain words that I'm looking at and I can start to actually extrapolate them, take the parts of each word and understand that actually these English words are an amalgamation of just Greek and Latin put together. Now, that being said, how did the development of these Romance languages happen? Because we have French, we have Italian, we have Spanish, we have Portuguese, we have things like Catalan, we have Romanish, which is a really small language that's embedded within Switzerland that only about like 10 to 20,000 people speak, but it's still preserved by the government, which is kind of cool. Um, how did all of these kind of change yet all have still the same mother tongue, the mother language, aka romance, not because they're romantic in nature, although some of them do sound kind of pretty. They really refer to that being uh, and or coming from the Roman language. So um, 
Well, let's think about it really quickly. So the, we have the fall of the Roman Empire. And if you were to just pull up a map and see what the, the Roman Empire was at its uh, greatest and in its expanse, it stretched all the way from England, um, basically the southern half of the UK, all the way down France, Ger uh, France Germany, blah, 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 um, Spain, northern Africa, Egypt, um, wrapping around uh Israel and like Turkey, Hungary, Greece, all this stuff. It, it is it, it basically think about any sort of landmass surrounding the Mediterranean. Um, and further, I urge you to pull up a map. Um, it stretched all over the place. So when the the collapse of the Roman Empire happened, we had all of these barbaric tribes coming on in and settling in different locations that um, they had prior been at, but then had been run out because of the Romans and or had been conquested because of the Romans. The Romans were really ruthless people a lot of the time. And, uh, it, you know, they, they sacked many a people, they crucified many a people. Um, and, uh, as examples, um, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, anyways, I could get into that in another because we're planning on doing some story times. I like to do uh, story time, with, uh, history time with uh, my middle schoolers where I'll bring in some popcorn. I'll pop some popcorn in the teacher's lounge and I just have them sit back and relax. And Mr. Connolly just does a bunch of story time and history time because that's what history is. It's just stories. And I love, I love, I love history. I love understanding where we came from because it helps us understand who we are and where we eventually may come to in the future. Because... As Mark Twain said, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does uh, rhyme, rhyme in a way. So if you have all these barbaric tribes making their way into different areas of uh, the Roman Empire, aka, you know, barbaric tribes moving into Spain, moving into Italy, moving into France, all, all different in nature. And these were different barbaric tribes because uh, all these Gallic tribes, the Franks, the Germanics, um, uh, the Britannia, um, trying to think of all the factions and such that started to make their way on in historically. And, uh, well, you know what? They didn't want to speak Latin. They did. They were like, what the heck is this language? Nah, uh, uh, we're not going to do this. So what were they going to try and do? Well, they were going to try and force their own language that they spoke, which then kind of came to bat with the, um, the Roman language. And that's when I guess, there was kind of this assimilation of, well, the that's where you get kind of the difference, but also the similar nuances because Spanish is really similar to Portuguese, but also different because different barbaric tribes settled in those regions. And to think about it, maybe, you know, as a human being, maybe you were some sort of, you know, barbaric uh individual and you came into Spain and you, um, you know, you're trying to assimilate into the culture while, or while you had conquested and you, now you're like, you've got a bunch of people that are speaking Latin and stuff like that. And maybe you might take a liking to, uh, maybe some sort of senorita and you're like, you want to kind of converse with them in some way and communicate with them in order to like express like, Hey, you know what? I'm interested. Hey, you want to go out for some coffee or something like that? Um, but if you don't have language, see, that's what I love about language is that it both brings us apart or brings us together and also kind of brings us apart. And it 
shows us the how how anthropologic the world is, how culture and language and people all are uh, all encompassing in this beautiful thing that we call humanity, diversity. So then maybe maybe they start to kind of communicate by like, I don't know, signaling to uh, certain things or pointing or trying to learn each other's name and uh, just, you know, vocalize. You know, I'm trying to like, maybe you've seen a movie, maybe like a rom-com or there are two people that like, you know, don't have uh, the same language, but they start to try and communicate because they want to. You know, they want to get to know each other a little bit more, but they don't have a language that's going to bring them together. So how are they going to bring themselves together in order to express these things? So then we start to have these mixing of languages, and that's where we get the difference between French and Italian and Spanish being really similar to Portuguese, but also different and also Germanic, Germany, or German, the German language is one of the very few languages that also has the neuter gender that has carried on, been carried on from Latin. So, um, and now, as you can see, all of these Latin and Greek words really make our pre its presence through our contemporary language, con meaning with, tempore, temporis meaning times, pertaining to the times with, essentially, because that language has evolved, but it is also kind of weaved and folded and folded in in upon itself. So I'll leave it there. Um, and uh, I hope that that answers that question there. But you know, uh, just think about how how someone would try to communicate with another person. Maybe if you're traveling across seas and you're trying to commute with, communicate with someone that you. Um, can't really because you don't share the same language whatsoever you start to maybe write down things maybe or you draw things to help the other person understand what you're trying to convey to them so there you go next one that we're going to get into here from Lottie Lottie you you are such an OG I love all the questions and I love all the support that you're you've been given me I really do appreciate you and I know that you also do deal with an autoimmune uh uh, or a couple actually, because seldom do we just deal with one autoimmunity. So I, I feel for you. I empathize with you. Um, and, uh, keep on coming around because I love having you around. Um, she mentioned, or she, she asked here, you mentioned living in Colorado and Washington. What States have you lived in and what's your favorite? Well, I grew up in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, my my mom's side of the family is from El Paso, Texas, and my dad's side is all the way from uh, the honky white Arkansas Little Rock. So that's where you you see why I uh, look very white. And then my mom's side is very uh, Mexican, Hispanic, um, and uh, so yeah, that's my lineage. Um, and spent a year in El Paso as a little baby kid and then moved on up to Santa Fe where I spent my childhood all the way until I left for college where I started out going to school at the University of Puget Sound um, for six semesters where I eventually had to take a medical leave of absence because of my um, my unexplained illness at that time that went misdiagnosed for a long time because doctors refused to diagnose me with anything. And I just kind of became this lab experiment. Um, and, uh, like the amount of drugs that they gave me and stuff like that, it was, it was a lot. Um, but, um, 
yeah. Uh, so from, from that point, I got sick. I came back to Santa Fe, spent about a year and a half in Santa Fe. Um, and then after that, I, um, I did a, a backpacking trip in Ireland, the month of July, 20, 2017, 2017 or 2018. I'm, I'm, it's escaping me right now. Um, and no, 2017, I'm sorry. Um, and that was kind of like my semblance of proving to myself that I had like regained my strength in a way because man, had I become a shell of myself. Like I lost, lost 30 pounds in like two months and my parents were worried and you know, I didn't really think I was going to take time off from school. And then my parents were like, we really think that you should. And then I remember I was like, heck no, heck no. Especially because I, uh, had such a linear perception of my life that I had always seen myself going to school for four years. Um, you know, after that, the eventual, like, you know, further education or getting a job and this and that, I've always had a very linear perception of my life. And to have something like that thrown in, uh, really, really threw me for a loop. Um, and it really, it really made me feel more hopeless because I felt so not proud of myself. I felt like I was allowing this very intangible thing to, to, to halt my life and to interrupt it. And, uh, it was the first time I really experienced depression because before then, uh, I was the type of person, uh, thanks to having, um, a dad whom I love dearly, but, uh, definitely had some qualities where he imbued in me the, the concept of, uh, think the sad away kind of thing, you know, like, oh, you're sad, just stop being sad or whatever. Oh, you're, blah, blah, this and this, just think it away kind of thing. You know, I'd always just kind of assumed that that's what, you know, if you're just sad, just think it away. And then I, I truly understood that depression is, and all of it is just so holistic. It's like the body and the mind and the soul. Um, you know, if you're hopeless, then you physically start to degrade. And then that physical degradation leads to more mental degradation and then, you know, your spirit also gets so tattered and destroyed. And I was a shell of myself for that bit of time. It was definitely a rock bottom time in my life for me. Not the first, um, not the last, I'm sure. But um, I know that this isn't really addressing why, what my favorite states are, but I guess it gives a little bit of context. Because after that, um, made a semblance of getting better, did my Ireland trip got back and it was like a whirlwind of things where I eventually, I got accepted into Utah State University basically a couple weeks after I got back from um, Ireland and then it was just a mad dash and I started going to school at USU in Logan, Utah, 2017 all the way to 2019. From there, I moved back to Santa Fe where I taught for a little bit. Then I moved up to Portland with a an ex-girlfriend of mine at the time. Uh, that was a very dark time in my life as well, because that was also when um, you know, COVID and quarantine was really, really bad. And man, was Portland just like the lockdown of the lockdown. So um, that was um, a tough time as well. But uh, I ended up being in Portland after a while. Um, there was a, a Hence the aforementioned ex, uh, we ended up breaking up. She moved back to Utah because that's where she had been. 
and I stayed in Portland and talk about another, that was a serious rock bottom for me. Talk about when you lose your identity, when you've been with someone for so long um, and your identity is tied with them, that when that person leaves your life, it's like you're trying to figure it, figure it all out again. And I was figuring it all out while being in a 300 square foot apartment uh, in uh, the middle of COVID quarantine in Portland, where there were also a bunch of fires where they were telling you not to go outside because basically the um, the atmosphere outside basically just had this sepia kind of hue. It looked so post-apocalyptic. There, were li- there was literally ash falling from the skies for like two weeks, I remember, and um, uh, that late August, early September time period. So... There was that. And then, you know, after a while, you know, that's when I started to realize it was really about the small ones. And that's what it is about me in in Latin with my students. It's not about being smart. It's not being the best. (laughs) It makes me think about that, that edit somebody made. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being the best. It's about putting in the reps. And that's what I've come to realize for real, though. It's about doing things over and over and over again and then reflecting on them and saying and telling yourself that you did something that you thought that you couldn't do and you should be proud of yourself for that. So that's where I get all of that kind of mentality from because after a while, those little small things eventually hitting rock bottom there by myself. I mean, I barely knew anybody in Portland and the people that I knew um, I didn't really see all that often, and people were just really cold in Portland. I'm, I, I don't know. I don't remember it being like that when I was going to school in Washington, and me and especially my buddy Matthew, shout out Matthew Byrne, love you, man. Uh, we caught up over the summertime over like like a four hour conversation. It was so it was so great to hear from him. Uh, regardless of, um, we would take the Amtrak from Tacoma all the way down to Portland. And Portland was just a different vibe in general back then. And that was only in 2014, 2015. Um, uh, But when I was there in 2020, 2021, it was tough. Um, And uh, that's why at that time is when I decided to to start uh, applying to physical therapy schools while I also uh, sent out uh, randomly... um, uh, a Latin teaching resumes just out into the ethers in which I got one uh, job offer or a couple actually in Colorado and then one in San Antonio. I was kind of urged about San Antonio because that's where my brother lives. Um, and I'd love to be physically close to my brother, but also uh, it's Texas and it's humid and it's hot. And I'm not sure if I vibe with the culture, but honestly, I don't know if I vibe very much with the culture in Colorado a lot of the time. I don't, I never really know. It's also, I'm just a, I'm a very middle of the, the, the way kind of person, like the Buddha said, you know, it's like Siddhartha, you know, it wasn't about the opulent lifestyle about a prince, you know, and leaving that to have an ascetic lifestyle and fast under fig, the fig tree for 40 days, because either being having all the opulence or being ascetic, he realized that neither way was the way to enlightenment. It was all about the middle path. And that's what I've come to realize is that I like to just come up with my own opinions and views through pragmatism and logical 
deductive reasoning and just being a human and also just having empathy with everybody else in this world. Anyways, out of all the states that I've lived in, I've lived in New Mexico, Colorado, Washington, Oregon. I think I said Utah. Um, I think Colorado right now, but I'm not sure, actually, um, because it's also just kind of difficult to make friends as a 20-something in a new place where you're working full-time and being just pulled uh, for all of your, like, when I get to my weekend, it's almost like I have to force myself to be social because I'm so dog-tired all the time. I just, like, want to be alone. I want to go out into the woods and just be alone and just journal and hammock and just, you know... I don't know, be by myself a bunch, which sucks because I also love to be around people that I love and care about, but it's like, I just get so beaten down by the week that, and two days is not enough. It's just not, it's never enough. So honestly though, I love Santa Fe and I hated it growing up there because I hated uh, well, I, I just hate growing up in Santa Fe because I was relentlessly bullied as a kid all the way from when I was in grade school, all the way until high school. Um, and yeah, you know, it just, it made me very, very angry with the people around me. And then I also was just like, Santa Fe sucks. It's boring. And now it's like kind of cool. It's hip. Like we got meow there and everything like that. And I wish those things were there when I was growing up. But that being said, Thank you so much, Lottie. You rock. I see you. I continually see you. And I love having you come around. And I hope that this gave you a little bit more um, information as to who I am in general. And I I just love learning more about you guys as well. Tell me more about you guys in the comments or the, the Q&A or whatever uh, that you find at, at the Spotify uh, blurbs below. I don't really know how that works. Actually, it just kind of like pops up and I'm like, Oh, okay. I got a new question that I can answer. So, um, yeah. From Azalea, whom is a very, very rock and awesome supporter of mine that I really, really appreciate you rock Azalea. Thank you again. I know that you've given me, uh, options on how to quell my, that being said, but seeing that a lot of people are saying that like, we should just, uh, this, uh, it should be an ism. And I was thinking about it, saying of that being said for seven times in a 10-minute video, I think is okay. I use it as a transitional phrase is what I've come to realize, but we can always embed other transi transitional phrases into the mix as well. So you've given me great ones, and uh, nevertheless, I'll keep on trying. Fra my fave Greek mythology story. Mm. Ah, that's a really good one. Um, and man, I should have came, came prepared with this one because I have a few. But I mean, one of my favorites, to be honest, is Prometheus bring, bringing fire to humanity um, because he just kind of did a big old F you to Zeus and was like, dude, yo, come on, man. Stop being the petty dude and not giving fire to humanity just because you're afraid that they're going to start making weaponry and they're going to progress and grow and they're going to overtake Mount Olympus. You know, you, it's funny that the king of the gods is just like the most insecure little whiny baby. 
Um, yeah, Zeus is a little poopy butthole. I don't like him. And uh, I'm sure you guys all are like, yeah, Zeus is like is such a, yeah, he, he needs to, he needs to stop being like Tiger Woods and, uh, zip up his fly and, uh, you know what? Stop cheating all the time. All right. Stay in your lane, buddy. Anyways, um, Prometheus bringing fire to humanity, which eventually led to Pandora's box, which eventually shows more so of Zeus's petty nature and how he was, he's uh, really good at being also passive aggressive and or finding a way to uh, have a scapegoat for everything that he actually, um, you know, heads. So um, that I, I do love that one. And I love... Um, James Baldwin's version of Prometheus bringing fire to humanity because he's just such an eloquent and beautiful writer. And if you guys don't know who James Baldwin is, he is just, um, he is talking about a rhetorician. He just, the way that he speaks, his diction, the way he carries himself, he's like walking poetry and I love him. Um, and he really, he broke, a a, a well, a lot of, a lot of, um, what am I, what am I trying to say? Ah, language. Come on, Liam. Um, he broke a lot of molds because not only was he a black man back in the day here, um, doing, uh, you know, within this Harlem Renaissance period, even though I, it might've been after, I can't remember exactly, but he was also gay. Um, and, uh, that's, um, you know, that's a, a black gay man back then being so embedded in, you know, trying to, uh, be a part of, uh, you know, breaking the, those role or not the stigmatism really of it all. Um, so I urge you guys to go check him out. He's amazing. Um, so yeah. Also though, I really just, I, I like, um, Theseus in the Minotaur. I think that that one's a great one, even though it kind of shows that Theseus is kind of a poopy butthole as well, because, um, you know, he, uh, he kind of, it goes to show all these guys are very much wrapped up in themselves still. They, they don't think about anybody but themselves. Like why I, I forget his, uh, his love that, you know, she, she helps him basically, um, escape from, uh, Crete. And they, they leave, but then he ends up leaving her on an island by herself. And it's just, you know, and then he forgets to change the, 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 the flag upon uh, docking into, um, ooh, I think it was Athens, but I'm not sure, somewhere in Greece, um, where he said that, uh, told his dad, he was like, hey, you know what? When the boat comes back, if the sail is flying black, it means that I perished. But if it's not flying black, that means I lived. And uh, Theseus, being the dummy dumb that he was, forgot to change the sail from black to another color, I guess. And when his dad saw that from afar and saw that boat docking out of anguish and sadness, he cast himself into the sea. And that's why, well, Theseus, his father, was named Aegeus. And that's where we get the Aegean Sea from. So there's a little ideological dealio there. A lot of mythology is just basically ideological myths, basically explaining the unexplainable or explaining things that um, we haven't, we, we don't have a, 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 an, an understanding of how it came to be in this world. So that's why we come up with these stories a lot of the time. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll leave it there with that one. Thank you again, Azalea, for that question. Um, next one here. Can you discuss Dante's Inferno with an emphasis more so on concerning the development of language within the text? Um, Gigi actually hit me up uh, this question uh, yesterday evening, and I was like, all right, this is actually a really awesome question. Um, I, I haven't actually read Dante's uh, Divine Comedy in a long time, but I do know quite a bit from it that I can kind of pull from in my memory. So really Dante's choice to write the Divine Comedy in Italian rather than Latin was, it was revolutionary. Uh, because Latin was the language of the scholars and the church, uh, while vernacular languages um, were often seen as crude and unsuitable uh, for higher literature. That's why it's literally called the vulgare. It, for, it's vulgar uh, language, essentially, that Dante is using uh, when implementing Italian into his text. So his decision really to write in Italian was a kind of, well... Yeah, it was a bold assertion uh, to kind of show the worthiness of the Italian Italian language for literary expression. Um, but um, but yeah, let me see what I, what else I can really talk about here because it's kind of well. He wrote the Inferno in the Tuscan dialect, which would eventually become the basis of modern standard Italian, essentially. And his use of this dialectical language contributed to his prestige and widespread acceptance um, as the standard of Italian language, because I know that you get different dialects in Italian. I don't know a lot about Italian, but I do know that there are different various nuances um, that came from that. So vernacular poetry and the national identity embedded within Dante's works in Inferno played a huge pivotal role in the formation of that Latin or rather Italian national identity. So by writing in that vernacular and celebrating Italian culture and heritage, Dante kind of contributed to a sense of shared identity among um, Italians uh, in order to help unify the fragmented regions of the Italian peninsula at the time. Um, and that's kind of like the power of poetry. Um, he wasn't just a linguist. He was a poet um, and uh, kind of unparalleled in his skill. The Inferno uh, showcases his mastery of poetic form, um, in my opinion, because um, I know... Um, oh gosh, it's a three-line rhyme scheme uh, that's very intricate in this wordplay. I forget what they call that. It's like Terza, Terza, Terza something. Ah, oh, crap. Terza coming from the three, but I, I don't know. It's a three-line rhyme is what it is. If anybody remembers what that term is, please comment it or something like that or hit me up because I'm going to wake up at a two at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat. And I'm going to be like, good God, that stupid term woke me up from my deep sleep. And now I got to go back to sleep and I'm probably not going to get back into deep sleep as ma as fast as I w could have been just by already being in deep sleep. That being said, I'm going to shut up. But that use of uh, the po poetic device helped to elevate the Italian language. I mean, that's why Virgil was employed back in the day by Augustus, Augustus to write the Aeneid. The Aeneid is basically a, um, a fictional, well, 
or historical, I don't know, um, uh, work to basically explain the foundation of Latium, aka the Latin uh, world, Rome, essentially. Um, because Aeneas was the only one that actually was able to get away f uh, from the sack of Troy because the Aeneid is basically part two of the Iliad. Iliad, written by Homer. Aeneid, written by Virgil. So basically, the Aeneid is just the Latin version of the Iliad because the Aeneid talks about, you know, uh, the wrath of Achilles as well as um, just, you know, the long, long war over Helen of Troy, and then eventually it leads into the sack of Troy because that's where Odysseus comes up with his keen and cunning plan of the Trojan horse, and that's where we actually get the virus, a Trojan horse. That That's why they call it a Trojan horse, is you don't want to open it up because once you open it up, you invite all of these bad things into your uh, your your computer, the, all that malware, malice meaning bad. Also, tidbit here i just thought about it i'd always wondered why the latin word for apple was malum and then the adjective form for bad is malus mala malum dependent on the word that it agrees with malum would be neuter mala would be feminine malus would be masculine and i thought about it i was like wait why is an apple evil and i was like oh it's because they you they they did that because of Eve, excuse me, eating the apple back in uh, the book of Genesis. Um, and the apple was seen as bad. And I'd never thought about that before. And I thought that that was very, very, that was an epiphany for me. So I don't know, you, you continually learn something. And I feel like I probably, probably should have known that prior. But uh, anyways, I'm trying to think of other things because I know that there are some biblical and classical influences um, because he both like drew on Christian theology and, um, you know, Greek and Roman mythology and the works of Virgil and other classical art authors as well. But, you know, oh, that being said, I was the reason why I highlighted Virgil is because he also had such a command of poetry. He read and wrote in dactylic hexameter and, um, you know, if you get later on into Latin, you got to do a lot of scansion and stuff like that within several works. And it's fun stuff. It's beautiful work. I love Virgil. Virgil's Georgics. Um, I love Ovid. I love Marshall. I love reading. I love learning. Um, and then, um, well... How about this? Because I did pull out an excerpt from the De Vulgari Eloquentia, aka out of the vulgar language, the, vul the vulgar eloquence essentially is what that means. Out of D, Vulgari, vulgar, eloquentia, eloquence, aka eloquent language. Um, and Latin being that eloquence. So, um, I was thinking about maybe talking about this because um, this passage that I pulled from, uh, it kind of, it tells uh, us a little bit about Dante's idea of language and, um, the, and how it's related to human nature. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading this and hopefully I read it well for y'all. Alrighty. Of all creatures that exist, 
only human beings were given the power of speech because only to them was it necessary. It was not necessary that either angels or the lower animals should be able to speak. Rather, this power would have been wasted on them, and nature, of course, hates to do anything superfluous. Now, if we wish to define with precision what our intention is when we speak, it is clearly nothing other than to expound to others the concepts formed in our minds. Therefore, since the angels possess, in order to communicate their own glorious conceptions, a ready and ineffable sufficiency of intellect, through which they make themselves, in themselves, completely known to each other, or, at least, are reflected in the fullness of their beauty and ardor by that represent mirror, a.k.a. God, which retains an image of all of them. They seem not to have needed signs to represent speech. As for the lower animals, since they are guided only by their natural instinct, it was not necessary for them to be given the power of speech. For all animals that belong to the same species are identical in respect of action and feeling. And thus, they can know the actions and feelings of others by knowing their own. Between creatures of different species, on the other hand, not only was speech unnecessary, but it would have been injurious, since there could have been no friendly exchange between them. And so it is clear that the power of speech was given only to human beings. But now I shall try to briefly investigate as to why it should have been necessary for them. Since, therefore, human beings are moved not by their natural instinct, but by reason, and since that reason takes diverse forms in individuals according to their capacity for discrimination, judgment, or choice, to the point where it appears that almost everyone enjoys the existence of a unique species, I hold that we can never understand the actions or feelings of others by reference to our own as the baser animals can, nor is it given to us to enter into each other's minds by means of spiritual reflection, as the angels do, because the human spirit is so weighed down by the heaviness and density of the mortal body. So it was necessary that the human race, in order for its members to communicate their conceptions among themselves, should have some signal based on reason and perception. Since the signal needed to receive its content from reason and convey it back there, it had to be rational. But since nothing can be conveyed from one reasoning mind to another, except by means perceptible to the senses, it had also been based on perception. For it were purely rational. It could not make its journey. If purely perceptible, it could neither derive anything from reason nor deliver anything to it. This signal, then, is perceptible, and that is a sound, and yet also rational, in that this sound, according to convention, is taken to mean something. An excerpt from De Vulgaria Eloquentia 1, verses 2 to 3. So, in my opinion, a lot of this passage reveals that um, Dante 
at least for Dante, language pertains to human beings insofar as they are rational and social animals. Language is the form in which human beings think, we exchange thoughts, and we relate them to one another. Language for Dante simply is the way in which human existence intended as social and rational, um, as the social and rational, it unfolds. It wolare, wolo wolare means to roll out essentially, to unfold. Um, This is an, an extremely important idea for really the understanding the inferno in my opinion, because according to Dante, to sin is to misuse reason in creating relationships with other people. And it also follows, given what uh, has just been said, that for Dante, to sin is also to misuse language, aka probably deceit, lying, dishonesty. Uh, and really, in speech for Dante, it's never a moral or neutral act. Never a morally neutral act, I mean. So therefore, essentially, in reading the Inferno, Inferno, you got to ask yourself uh, Dante's ideas on language and how it's reflected in the text, in my opinion. But really, it goes to show um, the importance of language and why we come up with language and why it helps limit the, the metaphysical to the physical. It's like when I was talking to uh, my Latin 2, Latin 3 class, um, of which case I have, again, like that's a class that stresses me out because like they just, like I have prereqs for a class and guess what? High school admin doesn't uh, uh, honor that whatsoever. They just want quote unquote ASSs, A-S-S-E-S, in seats. See, I don't even cuss. Yeah, like, like they have nothing on me. If if I get in trouble because of this TikTok thing, I you guys know me in TikTok. I don't even cuss on my TikToks. Um, but uh, but I uh, lost my train of thought right there for a second. But it's back now because what I was talking about is I was explaining to my Latin class because I have um. I have one of my students just memorizing the Quran right now, and he's talking to me about like just uh, the uh, Arabic alphabet and all the nuances. It's very interesting. He's a very bright kid. Um, and I was talking to them. I was like, "Well, you know, language is just such an interesting thing. It's what limits the the metaphysical to the physical. You know, if we didn't have a word to describe a table, then how would I explain what I'm looking at? Is a table here? You know, I could." explain it's, um, you know, the adjectives that make up that table. It's wooden, it's plastic, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, it's synthetic, blah, blah. What if we didn't have any words for any of those things? Then that's why, like I've said before, why a baby cries in order to communicate that maybe they are teething, maybe they're hungry, they're hangry, um, they need some nutrients, or maybe they poop their pants or something like that. You know, they don't have a semblance of actually expressing through words. So they got to do it through sounds. They got to do it through crying. They got to do it through um, some chaotic noises and cacophonies. But I love the little babies and this really sad if they're crying. I hope that they are not crying anymore and that they are all good in the hood. Anyways, um, so that, the, uh, I... I've really gone off on this one. So Gigi, thank you so much. Um, I'm probably going to turn this Q&A 
into two parts. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can one, two, three, four. So I've gone over four. All right. Yeah. We'll do the we'll leave it there and then we'll we'll do a, a part two. But consider that. You know, language is one of these things that develops everything around us. And it it's why Yahweh doesn't have any vowels and it's not meant to be spoken. And what my also my student had expressed that I didn't know is that it was even it, it was desecration to try and draw draw to try and draw what God looked like, Yahweh looked like. So it you know, sometimes uh we treat things uh that are metaphysical, like God, like those those higher up things, uh, as well. We if we do subscribe language to it, we actually limit that metaphysical nature into the physical. And sometimes we don't want to do that because we're desecrating something that is omnipotent, omniscient, omni whatever. But yeah. I hope I fleshed that question out fully. And I actually, you know what, reading that passage and all that stuff is getting me all stoked because uh, the, the Divine Comedy is actually a really great reading. And the literary, literary legacy that it's left um, on language and literature is exponential and probably growing and retroactive. It has inspired like countless adaptations, lots of translations, lots of interpretations, and uh, scholars still continue to study and analyze Dante's use of language and symbolism, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So with that being said, and on that bombshell, we're going to leave it there, and we're going to do a part two that I'm going to just pop on right on over to the next one here. Thanks again, you guys. You guys are rocking. I love this kind of stuff.